Well, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, 25 through 35. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, 25 through 35, these 10 verses, for the next three weeks. And let's, it's, it's the second Sunday of Advent, so let's do an Advent greeting. I will say Christ has come, and I want you to say He is coming again. So Christ has come. Oh, man, you did good, so let's do it again. Christ has come. He is coming again. Woo, man, you got even better. And you know, that's an ancient church tradition. Uh, in Greek, it's Maranatha, Jesus, Lord Jesus, come, Jesus, come. And it's actually the last verses of the book of Revelation. The last book, uh, the last verse of Revelation, last book of verses of the Bible, Jesus says, yes, I am coming quickly. And we are to respond, amen, come, Lord Jesus. And so it's good to have a greeting like this. Now, this new series, as you can see, is Seasons Greetings from Simeon. And our passage is going to be Luke 2. And you say, well, why Simeon? Well, look in your notes. Let me give you three reasons to kind of introduce the series. And it's this, that after the shepherds, Simeon is the first to greet the newborn Savior and his parents. So, yes, the shepherds come on the night that he is born. But in the temple and in Jerusalem, the very first to greet him is Simeon. Secondly, Simeon's greeting is going to prepare us to greet Jesus in the same way when he comes again. So Simeon was the first to greet him at his first coming. And if we'll learn from him how to greet the Lord and be prepared to greet the Lord at his second coming. And then here's what we're going to learn in this series. His greeting teaches us how to live between the two advents of Christ. Okay, how to live between the two advents. And advent simply means coming. And so we're going to learn from Simeon how to live between the two advents. And he's going to show us how to wait. And we're going to talk about this morning. How to watch, how to witness, and how to worship. So those are the next four weeks. Look in your Bibles here and let's read uh, verses 25 through 32. We won't read the whole passage, but this gets you into the context. Look at verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, looking. And we've learned in the past that looking is waiting, and those who wait are looking. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Isn't that amazing? And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms. And bless God. Now, just think of that. He's holding God, blessing God. And here's what he says. Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Salvation is a person, not four points and a prayer. It's a per- I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. 
a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. I believe this all occurred, actually, and we'll talk about this, in the court of the Gentiles. And I think that's he's proclaiming that and witnessing there to all nations about who Jesus is. Now, look back at your notes. It says, Advent prepares us to greet Christ when he comes again. These four lessons that we're going to work through in, in, in this passage on Simeon match the four weeks of Advent. And last Sunday was the first Sunday of Advent. Uh, this is the second Sunday of Advent, and our lovely Discovery Hour schedule always messes up doing a four-week Advent thing. So we're, you know, we're like a week behind, and we're going to have to continue after Christmas, and that's all okay. But here's how I've structured Advent for many years, and we've done this in our class really since I came 31 years ago. And uh, the candles are here, and so the first candle... And this is a tradition. This isn't something that's in the Bible. But what I've sought to do is structure this tradition according to Scripture. And if you follow this, you will move through the Christmas story in in the four Sundays before Christmas and then Christmas Eve. And so the first candle is the... Is there a wick there? Not really. The first candle is the promise candle, and why is that? That's like a torch. <laughs> Woohoo! Promise candle. The, pro- the prophets who predict. Yeah, that was like really wild. The prophets who predicted his coming, and they're waiting for his arrival. And that's really where Simeon's at, right? Everything that Simeon is doing in this passage is because he knows the Old Testament prophecies, he knows the Word of God. And because he knows them, He's prepared, and so this week is the second Sunday, and that is the preparation candle, because those who truly, truly know the promises of His coming will prepare themselves for His coming. Does that make sense? And you see in the Christmas story, yes, there's weakness, they're human, but the, the, the characters of the Christmas story were ready. Zacharias, yes, he had a little issue with believing, but he was ready. Uh, Zacharias, Elizabeth, Mary, Joseph, and Simeon, and then even Anna, who was there at the temple. I love Simeon and Anna because they just really point that in this dark time, how the Old Testament ends with disobedience and exile and cursing and judgment and darkness and 400 years of silence, there were faithful, believing Old Testament saints who knew the prophets and their prophecies and they were prepared for His coming. And so they waited and they watched. And that's what I want for us. That's what I want for us. So the goal of this series is simple, to prepare us to greet the Lord at His second coming, which could happen right now. It could happen, right? It could happen right now. Are we prepared to greet Him like Simeon greeted the baby Jesus in the temple? Okay? And I want to be ready. And I want you to be ready. And so here Simeon was prepared to greet the Lord. And his greeting is simple. And so look at verse 30. Here's his greeting. 
His greeting is this. Basically, my eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation. And listen, when you see what Simeon saw, you'll do what Simeon did. And I want you to see what Simeon saw in this series, okay? And we're going to break it down for four weeks. Todd's going to help me on the third message because my beloved favorite daughter is graduating with her master's, and we want to be there for that. And that's exciting. Uh, we, uh, that's really exciting. Okay, sidetrack. That, I'm, I'm telling you, that's a big deal. So, Todd, thank you for teaching. And uh, she made it. Oh, oh, so many things. All right. When we see what Simeon saw, I think she made it. We got two weeks, so keep praying. Simeon, no, she made it. She finished her student teaching, got some unbelievable cool news about that, and uh, just did a great job. Now, that's what I want you to do. Listen, when we see what Simeon saw, we do what Simeon did. We wait, we watch, we witness, and we worship, okay? So that's where we're going. Now, some call this moment, the Simeon moment, because it, it is. We're, we're expanding over four weeks this moment where Simeon encounters the incarnate God in, the, in, in a baby and has this Simeon moment. And I want you to have your Simeon moment. In fact, if you know Jesus, you've had this moment where you look to Jesus and you say, I have seen your salvation And it is him and I want him. I want to receive him and embrace him and take him into my life to be my Lord and Savior. And you might be saying, Chris, look, I already accepted Christ. And I know many of you here have. I presume nothing. Only you and God know your heart. And you might say, I know the true meaning of Christmas. But here's the challenge in the weeks to come. Are you living that way every day? Am I living like I know the meaning of Christmas? You know, we, we get the lights. I love the lights, okay? We, we put ours up. And uh, I wondered why a few times but as I get older, but put them up. Those are all great. But do I live every day like I have beheld God's salvation in Christ? So God help us to do that. God help us to do that in this series. So let me give you a little background to the passage, because you get into the passage, look at verses 21 through 24. Verses 21 through 24 is our context, and it's pretty important, because it tells us why Jesus and his parents were at the temple, okay? And it tells us why they were there, and it tells us when they were there. So notice in verse 21, and I'm not going to read through 21 through 24. You can do that. But the outline is there in your notes. In verse 21, they're there uh, because Jesus has been circumcised already. We're told uh, on the eighth day, the, the, uh, the male child was circumcised and named. And so after eight days of being born, after eight days of being born... He was circumcised and then named Jesus as the angels required. Then Mary went through 40 days of purification according to the law of Moses. And by the way, that circumcision was according to the law of Moses. Then Mary, having given birth, had to go through 40 days of purification before she could worship at the temple. And so that's why they're there. So 
Jesus has been circumcised according to the law and named Jesus, not because Joseph wanted the name, which was the tradition, but because the angel of God had said so. And now Mary has gone through 40 days so she can enter into the court of the women and present sacrifices for her final purification. So basically this is taking place 40 days after Jesus' birth. They are also there to dedicate Jesus according to the law. After the days of Mary's purification were completed, the couple traveled to Jerusalem where they would dedicate their firstborn son to the Lord. This too is according to the law. Why? Because in the Exodus, God spared the firstborn of Israel. Therefore, they were his and they must be presented and dedicated to the Lord. Then in verse 25, Simeon is anticipating the coming of Messiah all according to the law. So what I want to give you in that entry, everything's being done according to the law. Why? Because in our chart, they know the Old Testament prophecies and they are prepared by obeying, believing them and obeying them. So all this is happening in fulfillment. You say, why should I care about that? Because we're banking on a whole lot of God's promises that haven't been fulfilled yet, too. And we should anticipate that he will fulfill them according to his word. And we should live according to his word if we are going to be prepared. So, let's look at verse 25 again. Today's lesson is one verse. Verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So let's take a look at this, because in this, we're going to be taught how to wait for the coming of the Lord. Okay, how to wait. And here's the first point. Wait in the right place. Wait in the right place. So notice that there was a man in Jerusalem, and then... You drop down to verse 27, he's not only in Jerusalem, but where is he? He's in the temple. He's in the temple. Now, let me ask you a question. Uh, have you ever waited for someone in the wrong place? Have you ever waited? Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I bet you, Rick, I, you probably have like a half a dozen stories. Yeah, I bet you do. And they, are, they would be well worth listening to. Waiting in the wrong, you know, how many were you in the wrong place? Okay, how many of you, well, Dana, seriously, in the wrong place? How many of you were in the right place, but the person you were waiting for was waiting in the wrong place? Yeah, okay. It just happens all the time. You know, meeting for lunch. Like one time I was meeting a guy for lunch, and I don't know what, it was, it was, we were going to eat pizza in Liberty, and I went down to North Kansas City. And I'm like, I don't think this is, or, or barbecue. We're going to eat barbecue in Liberty. And I ended up in North Kansas City. I'm like, this is the wrong barbecue joint. Why am I here? I'm waiting in the wrong place. You can think you're waiting in the right place, but if you're, in, but if you're wrong, you end up the miss, missing the person you were supposed to meet. So we need to be in the right place. Simeon was in the right place for waiting for the coming of the Lord. Where was he? He was in the temple in the city of Jerusalem. Listen, Jerusalem, as you read through the Old Testament, it's the city of God. It's the city of David. 
It's the city of Zion. It's the mountain of God. And the temple is like the navel, the heart of the universe. Why? Because at the temple is where God's glorious presence dwelt. And so like everything in the Old Testament is constantly flowing into Jerusalem and into the temple and everything is flowing out of it and out of the temple. He's in the right place. I, I, we could go through all sorts of prophecies, but here's just a couple. Isaiah 2, 3. And many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. And Jerusalem's elevated, so they're always going up. To the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, and we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And then... Zechariah 9.9, famous prophecy. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And we know that was fulfilled, but he came to the temple even as a babe, carried in. By his parents. Now, just think of the humility of our God who comes not only in the form of a man, but a baby, and is carried by humans, his human parents, into his own temple. It's just amazing. Listen, the Magi were right to initially go to Jerusalem to look for the king of the Jews, remember? Yes, he was born in Bethlehem, but ultimately, Messiah was going to appear in the temple. Simeon had no way of knowing exactly when, even though God had told him. Now, God had told him, you're going to see my Messiah before you die. What a promise that is, okay? But he doesn't know when, and he doesn't know who. Without the Word and the Spirit, he's going to miss it. So, where has God promised to reveal his presence in this age? Simeon was where he needed to be in the age before Christ came. Now Christ has come. Where are we to be if we're going to be prepared for his coming? We'll give you four ways, four places where God's presence is revealed. First of all, in the incarnation of his son. In the incarnation of his son, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus' body has now became the temple. Jesus himself was fully God and fully man, and he, his body became the temple of God's dwelling place. But we also know, number two, that God's presence is present in the indwelling of each New Testament believer. Listen to 1 Corinthians 6.19. Oh, do you not, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have forgot from God and that you are not your own. So God's presence fully dwells in his son. But when the Holy Spirit dwells in us now as believers, God is dwelling in us. And now our body, like Mary's womb, becomes a temple for God's dwelling place. Now that ought to change how we think, right? And what we do with our bodies. And then number three, the ingathering of his called out people. 
the end gathering of his called out people. God is present, and we've really hit this in the last few months after we've come back from COVID. God is present in a special way with us here today. And when we gather upstairs, we become the church is a temple of God. So yes, God's with us during the week, but when we gather in a special and unique way. Listen to Ephesians 2 when uh, Paul is speaking. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fit together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom you also are being built together. That's so important. We are built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. There's a fourth place where... Uh, God is present, and that is in the intersection of His Word and Spirit. The intersection of His Word and Spirit. God creates life, and God is present where His Word is preached in the power of the Spirit. And if you'll read back through this passage, if you'll read back through this passage and reflect how many times Spirit is mentioned. He's like mentioned three times in verses 25, 26, and 27. And how many times according to the law, according to the word. All of this is coming together. Listen, Simeon had a promise from God. You're going to see Messiah before you die. But it was only because the spirit was on him that he knew the moment was his. God and spirit. You have the word. Without the Spirit is lifeless in legalism. You have the Spirit without the Word, and you have a lawless, uh, zany, you know, everybody, you don't know what's last week's, uh, last night's pizza and what is really the Spirit of God. So, Simeon was in the right place for where an Old Testament believer needed to be. Jerusalem, the temple. The question is, are we going to be in the right place? And are we in the right? And obviously you are, you're here. (laughs) Okay. But what about next week? What about the week after that? What about when trials come? What about when your marriage is strained? What about when your job is lost? Where are you going to gather? Where are you going to be? Will you prepare for the Lord by being in a local church that exalts the incarnate God in the person of Christ? A local church that's made up of regenerate members who have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them and are here because they're born again, not merely because they're being religious. Are you going to be in a local church that gathers together on the Lord's day To make much of Jesus by preaching his word, praying his word, singing his word, seeing his word in the ordinances, and obeying his word. Are you going to be in a local church where the truth of the word and the life of the spirit are both emphasized? Okay, Where it's not just head knowledge, but it's heart transformation. That's where we need to be waiting, right? And I said last week when I preached, I truly believe so many things have happened on Sunday in God's redemptive plan for the new creation. I think he's going to come on Sunday. I have no 
proof of that from Scripture. It's just a pattern. But why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he? And then I thought, wow, I hope I'm preaching the word true to his word when, if he comes on that. I hope I'm here worshiping with a, with a worshipful heart. I hope I'm Simeon in his church when he comes. That's the first way to wait. Wait in the right place. Number two, wait with the right posture. You can be in the right place but have the wrong posture. And I believe that's the spiritual warfare of every Sunday. Right? The first battle is make a life commitment. I'm always going to be here. Listen, if, you, if every week is a decision of whether you're going to come, you're going to be a 50% attender. And eventually, you'll be a 0%. Because each week, it gets harder and harder to make that decision. Just do what I did as a, uh, as a young man and then as a young believer. I'm just going to, I'm coming. I'm born again. I'm going to be with God's people, right? And so that's the first battle. The second battle is when you get here, having the right posture, okay? And Simeon had the right posture. Look at verse 25, whose name was Simeon. You say, well, what's that? Well, Simeon, true to his name, was a hearer of the word. Simeon, true to his name, was a hearer of the word. Simeon means to hear. And as you look through this story of Simeon's life, he he went through life like this. He just went through with his hand by his... He was always listening, listening to the Lord. And that's why he had a Simeon moment. Because he was a hearer, a hearer of the word of God. He had the right posture. He was a hearer and learner of the word. Let me, and, and the word that describes this in the Bible is hupakuo. Hupakuo describes the right posture for waiting for the coming of the Lord. This Greek word, we did a whole series on it. I think I need to resurrect it. It was powerful for me. Hupo means to place under. Kuo is the word for hear. So true hearing is where you place yourself under what you're hearing in order to obey it. The way we taught it to Amber was, as, as a child, you need to be quick to hear, quick to obey, but with the right heart, from the heart. Quick to hear, quick to obey, from the heart. Now, those of you that have been parents, is that not every parent's Wish, yes, yeah. And we all like go, well, yeah, I don't know that I saw it that like I want. But that's every parent's wish. Now, listen to me, listen to me. And the frustrating part with that is when they're not that, you can't do anything to change their heart. Okay? But the glory is God is a heavenly father that wants that attitude out of every one of us. And here's the good part. He's going to get it because he gives us the ability to be quick to hear, quick, uh, quick to hear, quick to obey from the heart. He gives us, by His grace and by His Spirit, the ability to be that kind of child before Him. Okay? Which means, you know, if you, if you ask your kid, well, why aren't you this way? They could always say, I'm depraved. You taught me total depravity. Okay? But when God, when God the Father says to us, why aren't you this way? We have no excuse because he's given us the spirit. And he's given us the grace 
to be this way, to have the right posture of being quick to hear. Now, when you have this posture, here's how you come to church. You come to church like little Samuel. Remember Samuel in the Old Testament? He grew up in the temple and God was speaking to him and, and he didn't hear. He, he didn't know what it was. He thought it was a human voice. He didn't know it was God's voice. And Eli, the priest, had to teach him how to have the right posture. And here's what Eli taught him to say. Next time you hear that voice, you say this, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. See, that's a posture of whatever you're about to say, I've already decided ahead of time I'm going to do it. That's how we ought to come to church. Lord, I don't know what, you know, I know the passage or I saw the blurb or the promo on social media, but it doesn't really matter because whatever you say, I'm going to do it. I have the right posture. I I just, listen, we need to have the right posture as we wait for the Lord, expecting to hear from him and eager to obey him. And listen, this is, the, this is what guarantees you won't be ashamed at his coming. Because you'll be doing what he has called you to do. You'll, you, you will be doing and you will be what he has called you to be. So that's the second thing. Right, wait in the right place with God's people. Wait with the right posture. Quick to hear, quick to obey. Third, we see from Simeon... Wait with the right practice. So Simeon was not merely a hearer of the word. His name means to hear. But he was in the temple at the right moment because he was not merely a hearer of the word, but he was a what? A doer also. And that's the right practice. That's the right practice. I would say anybody that sits in a Bible-believing church very long knows Christ is coming back. Anyone who knows the gospel and has received the gospel knows he's coming again. I believe he's coming again. But are you living like that? That's, that's, the, that's the tough question. Do I live like that? I mean, I know people professing Christians who would probably die over the second coming, their conviction. You know, they'd fight on social media, you know, and yet live like the devil. Live in disobedience. Compromise. And and listen, we're all tempted that way, right? And we all give in to that. And we need to call out in confession and be quick to hear the conviction of the Holy Spirit and say, you're right, I'm wrong. I repent. Help me. Get in a grow group. Get accountability. Get with God's people. Well, let's look at what this man Simeon was. Look in verse 25 again. And this man was righteous and devout. Now, righteous and the devout is like the two-punch witness to one's character in the Bible. Okay? When, when, when the Bible says you are righteous and devout, it's said about everything it can say about godly character. So let's look at what this means. Simeon waited by living a God-pleasing life as a God-fearing believer. 
To be righteous is to live right in right relationship with God and the people around you, vertical and horizontal. It's living right according to God's standard. In other words, I want to live a God-pleasing life so I'm in the Word so that I can know what pleases God. But a God-fearing believer is one who is devout. Devout simply means living with God at the center of your life. So God-pleasing is righteousness, living according to His standards. God-fearing is devout, living with God at the center of your life. And the two go together. So this is your perspective in life is to fear God. And your practice in life is to live pleasing to Him. This is the core of your character. This shapes your conduct. Okay, And, uh, and live, Simeon was living that way. In fact, devout means devoted to God and the things of God. Simeon lived devoted to God and his promises, his purposes, and his people. That's why Simeon was where he needed to be. Because God was at the center of his life. And when God's at the center of life, you're interested in his purposes and plans. You're interested in his purposes that he wants to accomplish in in this world and in your workplace and in your relationships. And you're interested in God's people because you know God is present with his people. So, Simeon, like Simeon, we need to let... So, here's the deal. We need to let... Like Simeon, we need to let who we are waiting for shape how we live. Okay? So, if you tweet, that's tweetable right there. We need to let who we're waiting for shape how we live. He knew who he was waiting for. Therefore, he was at the temple. He was listening to God's promises and grabbing hold of them by faith. He was controlled by the Spirit. I bet Simeon had, well, I don't bet, I know, he had all the fleshly temptations that day to go gambling, carousing, who knows what, sleep in, I don't know what. I just know he was a fallen man just like me, and I've got all that in me. And so do you. But he submitted to the Spirit, and so he was, he, there he was. he was. He let who he was waiting for shape how he lived. You say, should we do that? Well, turn your Bibles to Titus 2.11. Turn your Bibles to Titus 2.11. Titus 2.11 is probably one of the most profound verses in the Bible that once I understood what it was, what it was talking about really blew me away. Titus 2.11, and we'll look at verses 11 through 13. And here's the verse that tells us that we are to wait for the coming of the Lord with the right practice, where we live a God-pleasing life as a God-fearing believer. Look at Titus 11 through 13, chapter 2. This would be great verses to memorize. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Now, here's what's wild. Grace, that's a figure of speech where grace is put in the place of the person 
who brings the grace. What he's talking about, you can just substitute in there, for Jesus Christ has appeared. But what he's saying is Jesus Christ is so gracious and he is the person who is God's salvation that you can just call him the grace of God. Isn't that cool? He's the, he is the grace of God incarnate. That's what Christmas is all about. That the grace of God comes in the flesh, in the person of Jesus. Notice, to bring salvation to all men. That vert right there summarizes Simeon's greeting. Behold, my eyes have seen your salvation. Now notice what it says. Jesus, and the grace as the grace of God, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, soberly. Man, I'm telling you, post-COVID, COVID, post-campaigns, we don't live in a sober society anymore. We don't live in a sensible society anymore. And Christians have lost their minds. And we don't want to be a part of that. Can I get an amen? We don't want it. We, Christian, be sober. Okay? Sensible. Righteously and godly. There you go. Righteously and godly. In this present age, looking for what? Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. There in those three verses is everything I'm teaching in this, really, the whole series. That's it. See, we think of too often Christians uh, confuse grace with license to sin. But this verse tells us the grace of God instructs us the opposite. It says, deny the ungodly things and embrace a godly lifestyle. Why? Because you're letting who you're looking for shape how you live on a daily basis. Wow. Do you know every one of the characters that were prepared for his coming in the Christmas story? Zacharias, Elizabeth, Mary, Joseph, Simeon, Anna. They're all described as righteous and God-fearing. I mean, it's like it jumps out every time. Now, Joseph, who was a just man, now, Zacharias and Elizabeth, who were righteous and godly. Simeon, who was just and devout, righteous and devout. Can God say that about us? God wants to, and he's given you the ability in his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Because he has given you the grace incarnate to live for him. All right, there's more we could do. Oh, and let me just say this, give you a little Greek grammar today. It says, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem. There was a man is in a tense of continual. This is who he continually was. He, was. he lived in a state of righteousness and devoutness. And listen, that meant he confessed sin on a regular basis. It does not mean sinless. It meant he confessed sin. He kept short accounts with God. Number four. By this time, you might be saying, okay, Simeon is in a class by himself. I cannot, you know, I'm no Mary. Okay. I'm no, no Joseph. Here's the fourth 
thing we learn, wait by the right power. Wait by the right power. Listen, none of these people did it in the power of the flesh. They all did it in God's power. Notice it says, and what a phrase, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, a couple things I want you to know. The Holy Spirit is big in the writing of Luke. So if you read Luke Acts, always look for the Holy Spirit. Really, you can't miss him because he's all over the page. But notice the Holy Spirit was upon him. It doesn't say it was in him. You know why? Because in the Old Testament, the Spirit did not indwell believers. He would just come upon them. And typically, he would come upon judges, prophets, priests, or kings. But he would also come upon ordinary believers like Simeon here. But he would come upon them. And like David, there's the potential for the Spirit to not be on you. They were not indwelt like New Testament believers. And further proof of that, Moses longed for the day when the Spirit would indwell all God's people. I could take you that in Moses. Jesus predicted the indwelling of the Spirit would not happen until after his death, burial, and resurrection. Jeremiah and Ezekiel, the prophets of the New Covenant, said it wouldn't happen until the New Covenant was established because one of the blessings of the New Covenant is that the Spirit would dwell in us and create in us a new heart and write the law of God on our hearts. Joel, the prophet, promised one day it would happen on the day of the Lord. And guess what day that was? The beginning of the day of the Lord began on the day of Pentecost when the church was born and the Spirit came down. And now every New Testament believer, the Spirit doesn't just come upon you. He dwells in you. And so... You know, sometimes we look at the Old Testament and say, man, I wish I lived in those days. You know, God, you know, I, I could be powerful. You know, like, no, you have the great, they long to live in your day. Do you realize you have a blessing that David never knew? Do you know you have a blessing that Moses never had and he was a friend of God? Do you realize they, the Old Testament believers longed for this? So let me make three observations. First of all, we're going to see that Simeon is speaking. Simeon speaks as a prophet in this passage. So after Amber graduates, in which we all say amen, amen and after Todd teaches the fourth lesson, after there's Christmas, we're going to have the fourth Sunday of Advent, and we're going to look at the prophecy at the end of this passage. Okay. So he speaks as a prophet, and by the way, Anna, who follows right after Simeon, is called a prophetess, okay? So he's speaking as a prophet. Number two, I want you to see that Simeon pictures the coming blessings of the new covenant. See, Simeon's like, I'm enjoying the greatest blessing I can under the old covenant, but I'm holding in the arms the one who is bringing the greater blessing. He pictures how we should be living. Living in the Spirit. And then third, Simeon is enjoying the greatest privilege of a godly Old Testament believer. He has the Spirit upon him. Isn't that awesome? 
But here's what I want you to see. It's not about Simeon. It's about Simeon's God. It's not about Simeon. It's about the word of God and the spirit of God that Simeon, because he's hupokuo, he's submitted under the word and the spirit, he's ready for his Simeon moment. And I want you to be ready. Finally, here we come. Number five, wait for the right person. Wait for the right person. Don't miss in verse 25 tells us what he was looking for. He was looking for the consolation of Israel. And down in verse 26, it says he was looking for the Lord's Christ. So what do these two phrases mean? I'm just going to touch the hem of it. Here it is. Who's the right person? Let me give you a twofold summary. The right person is the one who can restore you to repentance and comfort you with the hope of a new creation. The one who can restore you to repentance and comfort you with the hope of a new creation because that's what the consolation of Israel is. The consolation of Israel is like a trigger. Okay, you know how people get triggered over the wrong things? Well, you ought to get triggered over the right things. Because when you read the consolation of Israel, any Old Testament believer that knew his Bible would immediately think of what book? Isaiah. Isaiah. Because that sentence that I have given you is the theme of all of Isaiah. Restoring the people of Israel to repentance and giving them the comfort of the hope of a new creation that all comes through who? The Lord's Christ. The Lord's Christ. And so here's the second. Who are we looking for? Who is the one who can restore you to repentance no matter how deep your sin is? No matter how enslaved and in bondage you are? Who can comfort you when your mom's in ICU? Who can comfort you when a beloved co-laborer dies suddenly in an accident? Who can comfort you when the bottom drops out? The one who is the Lord's anointed. The one who is the Lord's anointed. Because that's what Christ means. And here's the beautiful thing. If we had time, we, I mean, I, I, you'd have to teach all of Isaiah. But the Lord's anointed, when you go back in Isaiah, you find all these Christmas passages. Isaiah 7, 14. He will be born of a virgin. You get Isaiah 9, wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, everlasting father. Isaiah 11, he's bringing an eternal kingdom. But then you come to the second half of Isaiah and you see the suffering servant. That's the one. He died for your sins, therefore he can restore you to repentance. He rose from the dead, therefore he can make you a new creation. Isn't that good? Yeah. Yeah. Look for the right person. So let me end with this. What or who is the source of your comfort right now in your life? What or who is the source of your comfort? Are you finding your comfort in the wrong places, in the wrong people? 
Is it work? Is it the money and the things money can buy? Is it a relationship? Whatever it is of this world, it will not last. And when the storms come and the rains fall, that foundation will wash away. You've got to build your life on the rock of the God-man, God incarnate. Amen? How are you waiting? So I hope you know Christ today as your hope and your comfort. But how are you waiting for your hope in Christ to finally and fully arise? Are you in the right place? Well, today you are. Do you have the right posture? Right? Do you have the right practice during the week? Do you have the right power that makes all this possible? Because it's all centered in the right person. Man, I hope you take time, whether you do Advent candles, you know, whether you put up Christmas trees, you just take time this Advent season to think about who and where your hope is. Amen. What a God we have. We can be like Simeon, and we can say, My eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation. But you know what? Without the Holy Spirit, he would have seen two ordinary Jewish people dedicating a firstborn, which dozens of firstborns were dedicated that day. But without the eyes of the Spirit, he would have missed I mean, because think about it, you know, there wasn't like, halo, you know, it's not like in the pictures. These three didn't have halos glowing over their heads. There wasn't Shekinah coming off of baby Jesus. He was crying, could have been pooping at the moment Simeon sees him. I'm sorry, can any mother predict when that happens? No, that is not predicting. You know, and if that freaks you out, you don't have an understanding of the incarnation. Right? He was just like any other kid. On the outside. But because of the word of God and the oh yeah, Audrey, do you have any testimony regarding that? Ah, never mind. Here's the deal. Without the Spirit of God and the Word of God, you don't see it. God help us to see Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Uh wow, I love Simeon and Anna. They're old testament saints, and they are old, Lord. Both were probably heading towards 100 years old. They had lived through one-fourth of your silence between the Testaments. And yet here they are, faithful, waiting, expectant, watching, and not missing what you were doing on that very ordinary day. God, help us to see you in the ordinary. Help us not to despise the small things. Help us to see Jesus as our salvation and to see him in the ordinary and watch him do the extraordinary for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen.